Podcast episode 302. Your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And this week on the show, a referral. I love referrals. Pitch me your guests. Bring me your interesting people. It's like what it says on the Statue of Liberty with your tired, your poor, your huddled masses. Bring me your entrepreneurs. Bring me your travelers. Bring me the cool people in your lives. I want to talk to them just like today's guest, Adam Salzman, founder and CEO of Adventure EXP. Now, what is Adventure EXP? This company is really cool because I've never heard of anything like this. They offer destination work experiences for college kids, whether that's seasonal or more than that, or maybe gap year kids. And I say kids, that's really not fair, but this is generally post high school, sometime around college, although he's not limiting it to anyone. Anyone going through a career change, you want to go do some destination work, you want to live in like Sedona, Arizona or Aspen, Colorado, or who knows where. They have an array of experiences available. And basically what you do is you get hooked up with companies that are looking to hire. So you make some money, you offset the cost of the program, and you get to have really cool adventures. I mean, what a bitchin' idea, right? It's kind of democratizing travel in a lot of ways because travel is so vitally important to the human experience and to our growth and to our knowledge and to our understanding and to so many things. So the fact that he came up with this, the fact that he is putting it out there, man, it's awesome. And he and I hit it off just immediately. We have a phenomenal conversation here. He, like me, didn't want any more bosses, so he started out on his own. He prefers a relationship with employers and employees that is more like consultant-based or client-based. It's an amazing model, and I even ask him a very pointed question about it. So you'll have to tune in to hear that. But additionally, we also talk about knowing ourselves. We talk about the importance of being able to receive feedback from a variety of locations. And we talk about the programs themselves, which sound really cool. What's fascinating to me is he has to solve a lot of different kinds of problems. I mean, he is in the people business here, but with that comes a bunch of logistical headaches. Like, how do you handle housing? Housing is an issue central to everyone's mind right now for a variety of reasons. How do you get over the barriers of entry to partner with colleges and educational institutions? How do you get hooked up with employers in cool destinations? How do you get all these moving pieces to fit together? And it all adds up to a really fascinating show. When I put this thing together and I listened to it a second time, it flew. And I think it'll fly for you. I think you'll really, really enjoy it. Now, quick shout out to my friend Chad Hattersbeck. He's been on the show before. We were working together when I was doing a subcontracting gig through this company that he worked for. He's no longer there. I'm no longer there. I think we're both grateful for the fact that we're no longer there. Um, also, be sure to check out his band, Goodnight Freeman. They recently played a show at the Oriental. I wasn't able to make it, but from what I could tell, seemed like a great time. So, Chad, big shout out to you. Thanks for hooking me up with Adam. Now then, that's enough out of me. I've front sold this show quite a bit. So, we're going to forego the plugs for now, and we're going to get to episode 302 with Adam Salzman founder and CEO of Adventure EXP, and his episode starts right now.
I just went down and visited a group of my students that are participating in my program down in Sedona, Arizona. And we went up to Flagstaff, uh, like kind of road tripped up there and went to the observatory, the Lowell Observatory, which is like so low key in their marketing and so epic when you actually go there. Um, so yeah, I, I road tripped down to Arizona and kind of camped my way back. So that was my most recent adventure. Nice. I've heard that about that observatory. I heard it's bananas, like how great it actually is, but like you almost never know it was there. They almost like apologize for existing. Exactly. Yeah. Their wake is so minimal. When I was there and like, I'm seeing all the tools that they have at their disposal and the knowledge base. I'm like, wow, how have I not been here like a hundred times by now? <laughs> That's always a great question. You're like, why don't I know about this? And it, like, it reminds me of this piece of advice someone gave me. When I got a performance evaluation I wasn't thrilled about in my old job, he said to me, he's like, look, no one's going to be responsible for your own career except for you, which is why I write down every single accomplishment I have in a year. So when it comes time for performance evaluation, I'm going to come strong with, hey, here's what I've done and here's proof of it. And I thought, okay, that feels a little anal, but I started doing that and I go, wow, okay, no, that was game changing. That really, really helped. And so I bring that up because it's like some of these places – Look, people aren't just going to find you and do all the work for you. Like, it's okay to talk yourself up a little bit. Is that fair? Oh, man, well said. I also think, like, just as a concept, we're our own worst critic. So you being <laughs> methodical about record, recording every success that you've had, I think is a really good way of kind of, like, mitigating how tough we are in ourselves. So I just fundamentally support that. No, I, I agree because, I mean, <laughs> I, I saw a meme once, and it said, you get a million dollars but the person you hate most gets $2 million. Do you accept it? And the joke is great. $3 million. Perfect. Because, uh, you know, your negative self-talk, no one hates me more than me. Right. That's really funny. Uh, <laughs> I've never heard that. I love that. Yeah. It's, it's a great joke and it's, it's one that takes a minute to land like for people sometimes, mm -hmm. but you have clearly taken cl control of your career. So this is Adam Salzman. He is the CEO and founder of Adventure EXP. We were connected through Chad Hattersbeck, who is a buddy of mine. I met him through a subcontracting gig I had. He's also a former guest on the show and uh, heard about your story and thrilled to have you. So welcome. Glad to have you, man. Yeah, stoked to be here. Thanks for having me, John. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get right into it. What is Adventure EXP? Because it's kind of a cool story. It's something I'd never heard of before. Um, I'm sure there are things like this that exist, but you're the first I've ever heard of it. So what, give me the, uh, give me the pitch for it. So what Adventure XP is, is we host destination, <clears throat> excuse me, we host destination work programs, helping young American job seekers, primarily college students and gap year students, obtain seasonal jobs and internships in desirable locations around the country. The whole mission is to democratize travel and that I fundamentally believe in the, the transformative experiences that you have through travel and traveling with purpose at that. And through our program, because we offer paid seasonal jobs on the experience, you're working to help offset the cost of that travel. So not only are you gaining skills, but it's an affordable way. So everybody truly can have this opportunity. That's really cool because travel, it shouldn't be, but it often carries with it some class privilege. And so what you're describing, you're, you're looking to, to level the playing field a little bit more. And I mean, I, I know coming out of college, I didn't have like a ton of work experience or like, you know, if you're doing a gap year, it's good to just get in the rhythms of a lot of different kinds of jobs because you learn not only what you like, but what you don't like. And so what, what has the feedback been like for you so far in this endeavor? 
Oh, that is so cool. I, I totally agree with you on you learn what you like and you learn what you don't like. The, the other piece I want to add is that, you know, the jobs that we're placing them in, these internships, like let's say you get a chef position in Aspen, Colorado, and you're actually studying anthropology in college. There are transferable skills, right? Like how to request time off with your supervisor, how <laughs> yeah. to interact with your coworkers, how to interact in a Spanish speaking kitchen if you're an American and don't speak Spanish. Like there are transferable skills. So just want to kind of add that, that like anecdotally, there's so much packed into just, it's not just a seasonal job. Um, in, in terms of feedback, it's, um, you know, I'm, I'm very proud and frankly humbled to say that we're in line with our mission. We get to offer a cost positive experience which means our participants on the program have the eligibility to make money from their experience. So not only do they gain awesome life experiences and adventures, but they also earn money while they're on it. So what I mean that we're in line with our mission is that we're able to serve communities and, and students that are self-funding their experience and they leave their experience with, with money in their pocket and some amazing life, you know, life experience. So Adam, you, how long have you been doing this now? So I've worked in educational programming for eight years. Okay. Um, you know, when, when I was in college, I spent about um, nine months in, in China. So I did my own version of a gap year. Um, I studied at a university in Beijing and then found this startup that was like building a peer to peer lending online platform. Um, so did an internship there. Then I worked as a study abroad advisor and international student advisor, recruiting international students for internships, and now working in this gap year space. So Adventure EXP has been operating for about 12 months, but I've been in the space for eight years. And, um, you know, COVID, I think, really exposed that our higher education system is broken. I don't mean that it doesn't work, but I say it's broken because we've decided it's this golden ticket opportunity. Not everyone fits into that box. It's very expensive. And there's a growing disconnect between the skills you learn in a degree versus what you actually need to excel in an industry. So because COVID really exposed this, and what I mean by that is the value of college went down, unfortunately. The experience was lessened, but the cost was the same. So hence yeah. the value has gone down. Um, it really exposed to me that these types of transformative travel opportunities should be accessible to American college students and gap year students. So that's really kind of like the genesis of where Adventure came from. Well, and to me, it's interesting because you're not operating entirely outside the university system, but you are like sort of largely operating outside the university mm -hmm. system. And I've heard, you know, current college couched as, or perhaps criticized as modern day young adult daycare centers, because you, you've got a lot of people going to college and they don't fully understand why. And mm -hmm. even something like a, a classic liberal arts education has so much value. And I think just learning the value of critical thinking and being able to discern what is, you know, good information, what is bad information, you know, what's a good news source, what's a bad news source. A lot of that is being lost because people don't understand why they're doing anything that they're doing. Mm. When you're traveling, you are suddenly put to a decision that has very real tangible consequences. And when you add a job on top of that, man, you're going to level up in your maturity in a hurry. Have you found that? Like, is that any of the feedback that you've gotten? Absolutely. A gap year as, as a whole, um, and, and my program, because you are getting kind of that working experience and it's a more independent experience than some other gap year programs, you see increased self-confidence, increased self-advocacy, increased, um, you know, self-awareness and, and empathy and all of these wonderful growth opportunities that you can't really quantify. 
but it's something that you are, are putting in your suitcase of life that you're carrying with you everywhere you go. And the people that have these types of meaningful travel experiences, whether it's study abroad or going to work a seasonal job or, you know, um, do some sort of meaningful travel experience, whether that's road tripping with friends or whatever you decide is right for you, you're carrying that in your suitcase and you have that in your repertoire and in your toolbox to be using and wielding truly as a tool in, in the future. And I think young people don't see the return on their investments until later in life when they're 25, when they're 30 years old and they're in a job and they're realizing that they are much more malleable and able to navigate through ambiguity than someone who had a traditional college experience. And I do want to add that like, I don't have a problem with higher education. Actually, I love higher education and you're spot on that I fit into the system and I want to. Higher education works really well for me. My problem with it is that it's not the only path to success. And my mission is to make the gap year sexy. I want to be at a, I want an 18 year old to be at a graduation party. And in the as is scenario, you know, Johnny's mother is like, Hey, Adam, where are you going to college? And it's like, oh, I'm not going to college. I'm going to go hang out in Sedona, Arizona and work at a resort for six months. Right now they're like kind of a leper. Whereas yeah. through this program that's structured and guided and we have educational programming like career coaching and personal finance education as part of it. Um, I'm making it this full package and making a gap year a little bit sexier. So Johnny's mom is like, wow, Adam, good for you. You're trying this experience. I'm really proud of you that you're stepping out of your comfort zone. kind of thing. So that's my spiel and <laughs> that's my dream. Well, no, and I, I think you're spot on with that too. And I want to come back to something you said because, I mean, I, I had a lot of help along the way from my parents. Like mm -hmm. I didn't bootstrap my life hardly at all. Like, mm -hmm. you know, it, if you're, if you're, lucky enough to have some privilege to where you can get to where you are. My feeling was I always have to like pay that off and work toward making sure that that advantage and that privilege and whatever you want to call it wasn't wasted. Now mm. there, there's not everyone who, who necessarily has that, but my dad told me having these experiences while you're young will, as you said, pay off later. I think about almost like the perfect opposite of what you're doing, which is, you know, there's like those bus tours and like those European like river tours that are populated almost exclusively by retirees. And so you've got these people who have been working their entire lives and now they finally have some free time and now they get to do all this cool stuff that they never got to do. So like, let's go explore Europe, you know, let's let's get an RV and let's travel around the country. Hmm. And so the fact that you can do that when you're young has so much value and not everyone has that to where you go, man, I got to go live in Seattle or Key West, Florida, or, you know, who knows where, like a, a resort, you mentioned Aspen. Um, I got to do that and experience that when I was like 18 years old or 22 years old. And you're, you're not necessarily counting the days until you're retired. And now you can finally do these things, but, but you're doing it and you're also not sacrificing earning potential necessarily. Perfectly put. There, there's that expression that you just reminded me of is that when you're young, you have energy and time, but you don't have any money. When you're <laughs> right. like, you know, our age and in the working world, you have money and you have energy, but you have no time. And when you're retired, you have time and you have money, but you have no energy. I mean, I just, I, re I reject that as like this status quo that we, um, well, I guess 
I call it kind of our career process flow that in the United States, we've adopted this culture of like, I go to high school, then I go to college, then I get a job, then I get married and I have a family and then I retire and then I die. And I don't mean to be too morbid, but we've decided that this career process flow is this safe structure when there's so much more, frankly, there's limitless opportunity out there. And um, at the risk of sounding completely cliche, but like, let's call back to the early millennials of YOLO. Like you, you truly only live once and you might as well seize the opportunity when you have, you know, as many variables you can control. Yeah. It's interesting. I'd never heard that before. The, the time, energy and money thing. Mm. which is so well put. And it reminds me of, so I work in public relations. I work with creative people a lot and there's like three things that clients always want, right? They want it good. They want it cheap and they want it fast. You only get to pick two out of those three things, right? If, if you want it, if you want it fast and good, it's not going to be cheap. Mm. If, if you want it cheap and fast, it's not going to be good. Right. And if you want it good and cheap, it's not going to be fast. So, like the way you're describing that is is fascinating to me because that we we get trapped into that and what you're describing is a trap it's it's a way of thinking that that is a trap and what you're describing is you've almost built an off ramp that sort of short circuits that trap which i think is really cool here's to hoping <laughs> well i mean you say hoping and you've been at this for you said 12 months now in a year how has it gone i mean because Creating something from scratch is not always the easiest thing. Have you found some success? How are you feeling about it? Yeah, I really appreciate that question. Um, the entrepreneurial journey is complicated. And um, I would say the, the roller coaster of, of emotions, the ups and downs, being a self-starter and, you know, finding what are my triggers and what really gets me inspired. Um, it, it is truly a journey and it's every single day. I, I feel myself getting better at it. What, what I think it takes to be an entrepreneur, and this, this is my second venture. I also work with a nonprofit that's an intentional community center. I really think it comes down to you need access to capital, either your own or others. You need some smarts, basically. Like you don't need to be a genius, but you need to be able to think critically and make decisions, most importantly. And yes. then number three, you need to be able to tolerate risk. Um, you need to be able to have payroll due on Friday. You're waiting on payments from your clients that are two weeks overdue, and you need to make a $25,000 payroll payment, but you only have $20,000 in the bank. What do you do? And really, it comes down to tolerating risk. Um, <laughs> I'm by no stretch an expert at those three, but a very important mentor in my life shared with me those three, and I have found that to be increasingly true as I've grown in this venture. That, um, dude, that's so real. And that is so well set. So decisiveness is really important. Just make a decision and live with it. The, the more that you sort of wring your hands and you, and you dither about it, like you're, you're going to lose. Like the, the decision is going to get made for you and it's going to be the one that you don't want. But yeah, taking decisive action is, is huge there. And then my God, the risk tolerance. Some people just cannot handle the swings. And it's, it's like being at a blackjack table with an insane dealer, um, mm. where, where you, you have every day, every <laughs> single day in a lot of ways. Um, I remember when I started grad school, they're like, how are you doing? And I go, people take it day by day with this. I'm like minute mm. to minute here because mm. like the workload was so intense. And when I got into like, when I went out on my own, I remember mm. thinking this is amazing but the the roller coaster of it is it's too much for people to bear i think and mm -hmm. it it stands in contrast to what you're describing this graduate college work retire die right 
I've heard that referred to as slow, comfortable suicide. And wow. I need to write that down. <laughs> well, you, you have an audio record of it now, which is good. <laughs> but you know, some people, they, they, they don't like the, they don't like the ride. And I, I tell oh, them, if you don't like that, a man definitely don't have kids because that, that'll really keep you on your toes. But Good what, inclusion. what's, <laughs> what's the biggest thing that in these 12 months, what is something that has surprised you that you didn't necessarily think would surprise you? If, if there's a good answer to that. But before I answer that one, I want to go back to like you saying the entrepreneurial journey is not for everyone. I, I just want to reinforce that, that. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like no. when I was in college, I was studying finance. I knew I wanted to go to Wall Street. Then when I figured out Wall Street wasn't for me, I knew I wanted to go into corporate America. So I worked for a multinational corporation in corporate finance and did it for a few years. And look, they paid me really well because my heart wasn't in it. And that's how they treat everybody. Um, that is just not the impact I want to make on the world. But some people show up every single day. And I mean, I worked with people that were there for 28 years. They spent their entire career. And you know what? They were damn good at it and they enjoyed it. Yeah. And look, the world needs people to contribute to that. If everyone was like you and I that's out there like, okay, let's go shake things up and mix it up. And like, we wouldn't be able to drive down the fucking street, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> nothing would um, get done. No. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, um, it, it's so a surprise. So oh, it, yeah, it, sorry, it, please continue. No, it's good, man. It, it's weird too, because I worked for a big company too, like huge company, uh, with, with global, with a global footprint. And so like we had offices, in Europe and in Africa and in the U.S. And I, I handled the regional part uh, that I handled. But it's weird when you get into a company that size, you'll meet people of all ages who at a certain point go, this is the level I'm at, and this is about as far as I want to go forever. And they, they, they find a comfortable spot. They do the job. It fulfills them to whatever extent they need it to fulfill them. They go home, and they don't really think about it. Right. That, and, and it just, it's a part of their life that they have managed to, in many ways, solve. And I, I don't offer that as a criticism necessarily. And I'm not saying mm. these folks aren't, un, aren't unambitious. But what I am saying is there's got to be a level of comfort there to where you get to a point and you go, you know what? I'm satisfied here and I mm. like it. And you go, man, that's phenomenal. And in some ways, I almost wish I had that instinct about me. Because, like, a lot of times I'm just too fucking restless. Yes. So mm -hmm. I, I just I wanted to reiterate that because it, it's an interesting point And one, I don't think I take enough care in thinking about mm -hmm. from the other side of the equation. Right? Because people who don't have a high risk tolerance, they look at what you and I do or what, you know, people who are out there don't necessarily know where the next client check is coming from. And that fills them with absolute panic and dread and terror and unpleasantness. Mm -hmm. And it's like, uh, yeah, in no way should you subject yourself to that. I, I happen to be able to tolerate that and thrive there, but that's just not everyone. You're spot on, John. I, I think you bring up a really interesting point <clears throat> about those people that reach a certain level and they don't have any desire to move up. I think corporate America, actually any organization thrives with those type of people because, you know, one fundamental flaw in the corporate ladder is that people get promoted out of their skill set. Someone who's yeah. a really, really good financial analyst gets promoted to manager and has zero social skills, zero leadership skills. And they, they, they fall apart in that, but they were an amazing analyst. And the corporate ladder says that this is where you go next. 
the, that type of self-awareness that you're talking about, like um, from an entrepreneurial mindset, that sounds complacent. I, or I, I think it could it could sound complacent. Right. The truth is, organizations need people like that with that type of self-awareness, and more importantly, that type of skill set and attitude that they are content with where they are. Right. Um, and I am not that way. I'm not content any day, but uh, I'm also not striving to be content. I want to keep pushing every single day. Yeah, I I agree. Um... I, I, and I don't know exactly what that is inside me, but I, I'm not here to psychoanalyze myself at the moment. Um, <laughs> one, one of the cliches of corporate life that you touched on is the better you are at a job, the sooner they're going to move you away from that skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which is so weird. And eventually everyone just ultimately, if you continue to ascend and you have ambition within a large organization, you're eventually just going to be managing people and that's it. So, you know, I, I think about folks who work for, I don't know, any manufacturer. And if, if you're like a brilliant mechanical engineer, then eventually you're going to get bumped into a leadership role and you're not going to do any engineering. I mean, I've talked to people like that. They're like, I haven't done any actual honest to God engineering in like 10 years. And I go, boy, I bet you didn't think of that when you were studying engineering at Texas A&M, were you? Um, and they go, uh, no, and no one prepares you for that. So like, it's such a weird counterintuitive thing. So, so right now. It's a balance between trying to keep people engaged and helping them grow in that corporate hierarchy because that, that comes with pay raises, increased responsibility, et cetera, coupled with needing a job to get done. It's a, it's a very, it's a vicious cycle. Yeah. I, I think you're bringing up like a fundamental issue in the way that we structure our companies and the way we structure our career paths that um, someone needs to get in there and shake it up. And it, it probably needs to happen on a, on a societal scale. Probably, yeah. But then there are people weird enough and beautiful enough and bold enough to take that entrepreneurial leap. And what <laughs> ultimately, what was the trigger for you that said, okay, I got to do this on my own. I got to try and make this thing happen. I see, I see this opportunity and you know what? Damn it, I'm going to take a shot at it. What led you to take the leap? Huge question. A lot that I would unpack there. I would say it comes off kind of as a joke, but I do kind of mean it is I don't want to have a boss. I, I don't want to answer to somebody. Um, I also believe that the employer-employee relationship is fairly unnatural. Uh, and I've designed my company where everybody I hire, I want them to not view me as an employer. They view me as a client. And if I happen to be their one client, then I want them to take really good care of me as a client. But if they have many clients, good. Take care of your clients. So I don't want to have a boss. I fundamentally believe the employer-employee relationship is flawed. And, you know, at my previous employer, honestly, they did amazing by me. They, they gave me freedom. They, they paid me. I worked with a really, really cool product and a really cool program. Um, it inspired me. I was close to my purpose. But I also realized that there wasn't the upward mobility, exactly what we're talking about in corporate America is that, okay, I'm going to move from managing my region to be a regional director and manage people under me. That's not what I want to do. I want to bring something to market that previously did not exist before. And I want to bring it out there and, and make an impact in the world. And I want to be personally responsible for all my upward potential and all the downturn risks. So, um, you know, hopefully I didn't use too many analogies there. I'm too ambiguous, but that that's kind of the thought process I went through. Now, you, you're a man after my own heart because anyone who's listened to this show knows the problems I've had with authority. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I haven't 
I haven't gotten along well with most of my bosses, and I realized that was my problem and not theirs necessarily. Mm. Some of them, it definitely was their problem. I I will go to my grave believing that. Um, but, I support that. <laughs> thank you. Um, but it's it's interesting to me, like so. The, the folks that you do hire, you want them to view you as the client, which is a much more comfortable relationship for me. I, I have a ton of clients and have had over the last six years any number of clients, and it makes me hungry to prove my value to them every day. Whereas exactly. the employee-employer relationship is just – it's a little bit different. It's more like a marriage. And that – like I, I, I am already married. I only need one mm. wife. And so <laughs> – but what what's interesting to me though is I can't help but get this feeling and I'm going to ask you a pointy question about it mm-hmm. is are you in some ways shirking responsibility for stewardship of the folks who work for you because you could create this company in whatever image you want and you've chosen this mm-hmm. one that's almost like a consultancy I mean I know that's a criticism of some of our society right now with this gig mm-hmm. economy type of model and so I'm interested in your thoughts on that uh, and and how you sort of rectify that in your mind and if you need to rectify it at all <laughs> great question i, I <laughs> i'm a little bit starstruck at that question i think um I, I personally don't think i need to rectify with that uh, look the beauty of of starting my own business and the beauty of me owning it is that i own all the upward potential and i also own the risk which means coming back to that one of three parts that's i think critical for any entrepreneur to be successful is to make decisions Part of that means making mistakes. And look, I'm in this. I trust my gut. I trust my experience. I trust the network that I surround myself with. And I'm prepared to, to handle any downturn. I've, I've set up my organization in a way where the people that are a part of it, meaning the employees that help me, the contractors that help, help me on a specific project, the employers that we partner with in the locations, the organizations we're members with, and most importantly, the participants that are on our program, they take ownership of this experience because it's, it's each of us collectively going through our own life experience and then a life experience together. And that all like adds up into this beautiful thing that we get to like, you know, create for ourselves. And, and that is the energy I try and create. The, one more philosophy that I, I bring in and anybody I work with is that, um, and this is um, me running away from corporate America, is that I want everyone to demand yes if and reject no because. I want a radical idea to come and say, okay, in the time of COVID, let's get our program off the ground, sending Americans to Japan to work at a ski resort there. Instead of having a team that says, no, we can't do this because of uh, travel restrictions. No, we can't do this because of exchange rates. No, we can't do this because of language. I want people to say, yes, we can do that if we had someone boots on the ground that was able to speak Japanese and English and could pick them up the airport and hang out with them you know, twice a week. I want someone to say, yes, we could do this if we find the right student. And the right student looks like, so I'm on a bit of a tangent, so I'm going to pause here. But uh, um, the whole idea is that, look, this is my baby. And I am building this organization in my image. And I fundamentally believe in the limitless potential that individuals have. And I want them to bring that into this organization. And I think that's a phenomenal answer. And obviously, my my goal with that question was not to criticize you or cast aspersions on (laughs) your decision making. But I was curious about it because sometimes it's something I think about because I've never 
I've never taken on employees in my own little company mm-hmm. because some of it, honest to God, is fear. I don't want to be responsible for someone else's rent. Whereas if I'm working with someone, it's more of a partnership or I'm subcontracting out. I already know what I'm having them do and how that fits into my, like, not cost benefit. What am I looking at? P&L. Like, I, mm-hmm. I know what I can pay them and we've agreed upon that and it already fits in with what I'm doing. Whereas if I have folks that work for me directly, then I know I'm not just responsible for me. I have a duty to them. What I also hear you saying, which I think is really cool, is you want folks who are enterprising and folks who can bring their own unique skill sets to this and come in with a, with an attitude that says, look, I see this organization. This has an energy I want to work with, and I feel like I have value that I can add. Whereas you're not just showing up to do something, you're showing up because you go, you know what? No, I understand this, and here's where I think I can make an impact. Am I capturing this correctly? Exactly. I think um, in my experience of working and throughout my entire professional life, and especially in Adventure XP, is that when hiring people, there's kind of two buckets people fall into. It's that there's the bucket of people that have the skills but ask you what you want and then do it. Then there's the bucket of people that tell you what you need and do it, okay? And within that, there's a spectrum, right? There's people who are really cheap. Cheap, I mean, like, inexpensive. I don't mean low quality. I mean, inexpensive to hire that have the skills and will ask you what you want and do it. And same thing with telling you what you need. For me, I don't know everything. I don't want to know everything. I And I certainly don't expect I ever will. I want to hire the right people who are going to tell me what I need. And hopefully I'm not oversharing about myself, but I would describe myself as a bulldozer in that like when I get set on something, I move pretty quickly. So I need someone to come in with a skill set and credibility that's a boulder that gets in my way and, and, you know, moves me down a different path. That is fundamental to my success. Interesting. It, it reminds me of one of my favorite shows is Parks and Recreation. And the character of Leslie Nope. Great show. Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, Leslie Nope is arguing with her husband, Ben, and he said, you are so insistent and so dead set on your vision. It's like arguing with the sun. And I thought, God, what a great analogy. And <laughs> it, like that, that triggered my memory or, or my, yeah, that triggered my memory when you said that because it, it can be easy to sort of get tunnel vision and you need someone who's a strong personality to do something with that energy, whether they're steering you or redirecting you or just plain like playing it right back at you, which I, I think that's interesting self-awareness too, because I've worked for some bulldozers and I don't think they know they're bulldozers. Mm. So. Wow. Well, first of all, I, I really appreciate you recognizing that it's, it's a, it's a hard battle day in, day out to like admit your flaws. Oh um, God. Probably, you know, flaws, feel or they sound like a weakness in reality recognizing them is probably your greatest strength totally um, and, and yeah. I, I went through some leadership training one time i'm sorry to cut you off but mm. no, uh, please. In, in colorado springs and it was paid for my by by my old company because i had yelled at my mm. boss which was an interesting career choice on my part but i got signed up for this really expensive really intensive leadership training where people from all over the country went down to colorado springs you're there for like a whole week you have people fill out all these evaluations about you. So you have to get like 20 people to fill out these things that take like 45 minutes to do. And then they compile all that data and they give you these aggregate scores. And it's basically like reading a packet of all the feedback all your ex-girlfriends would have ever given you, which is just so surreal. And so, yeah, you actually get to see what people wrote and how they scored you on different things. It's pretty excruciating at first. 
But I bring this up because then you meet with like one of their trained counselors and you do hours and hours of sessions with them. One thing that my guy told me that has stuck with me is uh, a flaw or a weakness is just a strength overused. I, I thought, okay, that's weird. Say more about that. And he said, okay, let's say you fancy yourself a smart guy, right? And you've always leaned on your intelligence to, to get you out of whatever scrapes. If you do that too much, people start to see you as know-it-all or they see you as bossy or they see you as patronizing or condescending. There's any number of ways that leaning on your intelligence too much can start to work against you. So in your case, you know, you, you mentioned I'm a bulldozer. That has so much value to it because like you get things done, you plow ahead, you don't let distractions get the better of you. You're going to get this thing across the finish line come hell or high water. But there's also downsides to that when you lean on that too much. So it's not even necessarily a flaw. It's just potentially a strength overused. Mm. I, I really appreciate the language on that. I, I think you're just making me think of just the importance of language and how we package things is so important. Like, you know, in, in the context of my venture, marketing is like my white whale. It's something that I just don't get, right? Sure. And I am always meeting new people that have these amazing skill sets in marketing and I bring them onto my team and they, they completely change up the, the, the way we package our, our message and um, I'm in their debt, frankly, but um, language matters. And, you know, part of our program with these young kids that we're working with, um, we do career coaching and we do interview prep with them. Yeah. There's a way you can package something. If you're in an interview and, you know, and a prospective employer is asking you, hey, can you tell me about this experience that you had at, you know, company XYZ? If you were to say, well, you know, each day I have to upload this data and I have to do this and I have to do that. If you just switch one word and you say each day I get to do this and I get to do that and I get to do, you know, this data entry, whatever, um, it changes the whole context and, and the whole feeling um, centered around how your attitude is approaching that work. And, and that affects how you're perceived. So I, I just think you're bringing up such an important point that messaging matters, language matters, and how you package things. So a weakness is a strength overused. First of all, that's eloquently put. Um, so that's cool that you've embodied that or, or learned that in that session. Um, but two, I, I think it's indicative of a much bigger reality that it depends on how we package it. No, 100%. I mean, so I came out of my grad school program with two degrees and basically no work experience, which when, when you're submitting resumes to places, you're overeducated and like under experienced. That's death, exactly. man. That's like a double whammy. But the thing I realized was, no, grad school actually was work experience because I was teaching public speaking to, you know, a bunch of pissy college kids, a couple of sections uh, per semester. And I realized what that is, is project management. Managing a classroom is just project management. And you have like 24 little employees that you have to try and bring the best out of. So essentially what you're doing is there's a coaching element. There's a management element. There's, you know, uh, program development. There's, there's lots and lots of like elements in here. If you talk about it right and you sort of adapt it for your audience, then it's going to be meaningful for them. And you're not lying about it, but you're putting it in terms that someone else gives a shit about. So, and that's what I hear you saying. Exactly. And that's a perfect full circle coming back to the anthropology student that just finished my program this summer doing, uh, you know, a position in culinary arts. Those skills are transferable. It just depends on how you come to market with that, right? 
right? And um, I mean, that's why I just want a quick plug here. Everybody, if, especially if you're thinking about switching industries, leveling up in your career, you should work with a career coach because they have the toolbox to be able to help you identify, hey, this random experience you had in graduate school is actually really applicable to this project management uh, position that you're applying for at, you know, Corporation X because of all of these different so yeah, like use, use tools and use your network. Dude, this is, this is why everyone should go to therapy too, because you need someone who is like, Amen. not someone who is, <laughs> has no skin in the game whatsoever and can just honestly assess and give you a new entry point for understanding your own, your own idiosyncrasies because mm. you're, you're too in it, you know, and, and you need someone from the outside to go, Okay, here's how I actually hear this. And I go, wow, I'd never really thought about it in that way because you can only experience the world kind of one way. If someone else can tell you how they see you experiencing the world, you go, oh, okay, I can't look at it from that angle, but it's useful feedback for me. You're, you're so, so right. It, it, um, feedback, like it also depends on who is giving that feedback. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I think about, um, in, in my life, like my mom, I want to plug her. And I mean, it'd be funny if she ended up listening to this podcast, but she's probably one of the most intuitive and insightful people that I know. She also is a bulldozer in her own right. Um, so she'll give me feedback or advice. But sometimes her methodology is all wrong or the role that she plays in my life is this authority figure that's been there my entire life. And, you know, there's so many layers to that relationship yeah. that even though it's the right piece of feedback, I can't accept it. So um, having that unbiased third party, whether it's a therapist or a mentor or, you know, uh, a career coach or even just a friend there to, to um, recognize something that you you can't see your, yourself or navigate through is I mean, invaluable. It's huge. I mean, think of it this way. Your mom could say any sentence, right? <laughs> and a therapist could say the exact same sentence the exact same way, and you will take two completely different meanings from that sentence. Like, exactly. That's, that's wild. Okay, I want to get back to the program itself. Let's say mm -hmm. I am someone doing a gap year or I am mm -hmm. in college or whatever, and... I want to get out and I want to live in Chicago or Florida mm -hmm. or New York or wherever. And I find your program. What do the steps look like and, and how, how does the process unfold? Yeah, great. really appreciate that question. Um, you know, our program is designed in a way um, where it is malleable. And it makes sense because the employers we're working with, depending on the time of year and depending on the location, Positions are going to change because of seasonality in those areas. And it's just fundamentally how our business is structured. So the way that kind of manifests with students is it's really cool that instead of focusing on a specific location or a specific job, and sometimes students come in with a specific idea, we more so focus on a concept and, and what their goals are and what they hope to accomplish, like what level of independence and confidence they want to reach and things like that. So the reason I go into that is it first kind of starts as this consultative approach. It says, Hey, John, um, that's, you've had some really cool experience. Uh, we're fully supportive of you going on a gap year. We want to hear more about you and better understand if our programs are a good fit. So that's really basically where it starts. It's kind of like a consultation. Then once they actually get accepted into our platform, they start working with our career coach to get their resume updated, to prep for their interviews. And then we actually introduce them to employers. And, and this is something that I just... In, in my soul believe it's really important that we don't do the hiring, it's that the employer does it because thinking about those transferable skills 
for these young people, you know, let's say they're 18 years old and they're taking a gap year. Maybe they've never had an interview in their life. Well, you have to think about one, this is a real interview for a real job, but it's a safe space because we have a relationship with the employer and the employer trusts us and our vetting process students. Yeah, yeah. So they get kind of that, um, that gumption is maybe the right word of interviewing with employers. Yeah. Some mocks. There's a, exactly. So it's a safe space for them to like step out of their comfort zone, I guess. So once they meet with the right employer and they'll meet with multiple employers to really find the right package for them. And that that's considering their budget based on the cost of the housing we provide, the pay rates, the length of the program they want to participate on. Once there's a match between them and an employer and everyone's happy, then that's where we really step in and the magic happens that we handle all the logistics. We secure your housing in these seasonal areas, which is the most complicated piece probably. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And the biggest barrier to entry, you know, some, some 20 year old in Akron, Ohio is like, okay, Sedona sounds really cool, but how the hell do I find a place to live? I'm by myself. I don't know anybody. I'm only going for three months. So we step in, secure the housing, and then we plan out all the different like excursions and different support functions that are happening. The, the way I like to describe it is that it's an independent experience, but relative in contrast to them just getting their own job at an employer, we make it structured and guided in a way. So it's still independent and you are your own person and making the experience what you want, but you always have a safety net to fall back on. So that's kind of fundamentally how we've structured the program. Dude, and like what a great way of of getting someone some experience because I mean I've read recently about I mean Denver the housing here is just it's insane but it's even worse in places like Moab or places like Jackson Hole Wyoming like a lot of resort towns especially after covid have either people have made that their primary residence and are working remotely or with real estate investors they're turning it into like short-term rentals through Verbo or Airbnb. How has that impacted your business? Because I imagine that plays a role in, in how you all are able to deliver your services. Yeah. Um, housing is, is the most complicated piece. Housing, no two situations are the same. You know, one employer we work with in, you know, southwestern Colorado, maybe there's a university that we can sublet the dormitories there. Sure. Whereas, in a city, perhaps there's um, more affordable, like short-term housing that corporate, like corporate America would use if they're bringing interns for a summer. So for sure, the housing market is constantly changing. I would say, um, you know, very much we lean on our employer partners because they're boots on the ground in that area. You know, we're here in Colorado. Sure, we know the region well enough. We have good relationships with the employers and local entities, but they're there. And we very much do lean on them to support us. And that really kind of comes back to that whole spiel about that rant that I went on about how I structure the business where everybody involved in it has ownership. The yeah. employers have ownership as well. And look, we all put the work in and we all see the gains. Um, so from a housing standpoint, it is a complicated piece. And, you know, I mean, frankly, that's that's one of the justifications of, you know, why many students are coming on our program is because they can't figure that out on their own. Something else that that's sort of part of that is, you know, now that we're still sort of in COVID, but we're emerging from it and there's there's more tourism, you hear about places looking for workers. There aren't enough people to, to do these jobs. Your a program like yours where you are funneling a pipeline of people looking for jobs and looking for experiences and particularly seasonally to to handle, you know, tourism. This has got to be a godsend. And I, I imagine in the early going, you're explaining this to people and they go, OK, good. But now that you have, you know, a track record here, are employers getting more excited about this because you're actually a resource for them for getting more workers where they need them? 
Yeah, they are. I mean, right now, especially in the service industry and hospitality and tourism is primarily the industry that we work with, just thinking about these seasonal communities. Sure. Function in. Um, I mean, the, the demand that employers have for workers, frankly, is like unbelievable. And if I had enough students to fill all the positions with all my partner employers, I mean, that would be, I don't even know how to articulate how wonderful <laughs> that would be. Um, well, and for so, them too, I imagine, you know, they're like, okay, perfect. Problem solved. Yeah, exactly. Um, if, if I were able to do that, I would have cracked the code to life somehow. And like, right. <laughs> I don't know what would happen, but so in, in terms of the, the sense from employers, um, they're excited about this, you know, for a number of reasons, because recruiting in this market of young people um, has risks because young people's interests change very sporadically. And that's not a jab to young people. Look, it's the nature of being young and being fluid and, you know, not having roots. And frankly, it's something like Adventure EXP supports is like go out and have adventures and things like that. So working with them on their own is it, there are some risks as well as getting access to those students, right? Like, I always say um, this is like, um, I don't know, a little spiel that I tell myself is that like the barriers to entry for me to get in to work with high schools or in career centers and universities and things like that, the barriers to entry are really high. That's bad for business, but it's really good for our society because if just anybody could show up off the street and start marketing programs to young people and say, hey, we're going to do this, this and this for you, like there has to be a vetting process, right? Yeah. So. It's it's bad. It's um, bad is is overly simplified, but it's more difficult for business. But it is objectively good for our society. So employers benefit because of the relationships that we have with universities and high schools and uh, vocational schools and, and other institutions like that. They get to tap into that without having to go through all of that credibility necessary. Um, and through us, we kind of share in that credibility. So there. Um, there's a lot added here. And then I, I think the last piece is that just when an employer brings on these young people, we design the program in a way that they, they are viewed as interns, which means they come in with some newfound energy, a real exciting attitude about having an experience. It's, it's short term in nature, right? Like our programs are not necessarily a pathway to full time employment. They're short term in nature. And that's intentionally done because when you come in knowing the start date and end date, you want to get as much out of that experience as possible. And the way it actually manifests for the employers is these kids come in and they're rock stars. And and I say that with zero arrogance towards me. It has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the students that find us. They are rock stars. That's phenomenal. And what you're describing in terms of you know, the verification, the credibility and the validation of, mm -hmm. of what you all do. It's a short-term pain in the ass, but has a lot of long-term benefit. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Understood. It pays dividends for a lifetime. You know, me, I lived in China for nine months and the trajectory of me getting to China and now that's led me to starting this company is an interesting story. But basically when I was 16, I wanted to move to Aruba and open up a glass blowing shop. And I was, I was set on dropping out of high school. Then I got a job at this hibachi restaurant that even though it was a Japanese joint, it was owned and run by Chinese people, started learning the Chinese language and really falling in love with the culture. And I was like, you know, I think I'm going to go to Ohio university and study international business and Chinese. And then like the trajectory that, that I am now on because I chose to take a job when I was 15 and a half. I mean, talk about transferable skills, right? <laughs> and transferable life experiences. The thing is, 
it's that suitcase that people are carrying with them, right? When you have that type of experience, whether you're living in Florida and you do an experience of, you know, going to road trip uh, or like hike the Appalachian Trail just in Georgia, stepping out of your normal life and taking time on, which is important branding. We're not taking time off on a gap year, we're taking time on in life. Whether you're going halfway around the world to Beijing, China, or the state over in Georgia, if you live in Florida, there is meaningful life experience that comes out of you taking that time on in your life. That's awesome. Man, what a great sort of, I don't know, like slight turn, like two clicks, right, on the dial of shifting the philosophy of how people normally think about this. And I, I think that's super valuable, and you've articulated the value proposition for it beautifully. And so this is the time on the show when we do plugs. Where can people find you? Where can people find more about Adventure EXP? Anything you want to plug, the floor is yours to do it. Really appreciate that, John. Yeah, ultimately, we work with um, our, our target market is 18 to 25. But, you know, in the spirit of demanding yes, if and rejecting no, because, we have worked with individuals in various life experiences, a 34-year-old that has two children and figuring out how that works logistically on our program. Primarily, we work with gap year students and college students looking for a transformative experience that is affordable, it's tangible, and it's credible. And through our resources and our connection and the network that we've established, young people can participate in this experience. So the way you can find us is on our website. It's adventureexp.com. And you can find us on all social media. And we'll include the links here, um, to Instagram, YouTube, and, and Facebook. So, yeah, check us out. Drop us a line. And um, I, I think it's never too early to start planning this type of meaningful travel. And um, I want to just plug gap years as a whole and intentional travel as a whole is that me and all of my colleagues, we work in this space of cooperation. Sure, we're in competition together. Is there a student that's thinking about going to Tanzania to build an irrigation system and thinking about working as a, as a lift operator in Aspen? For sure, that happens. So a program provider that offers a program in Tanzania, they're my competition, but we also cooperate because we have a higher responsibility than just revenue, than just growing our bottom line. It comes down to helping young people be the best version of themselves. And I am increasingly humbled by my space of programs, referring students out to other programs that are in competition because they see a heightened perspective that the student could benefit from a different program experience. So the reason I say that is if you're sitting there and you're thinking about travel, regardless of your age, where you are in life, what experiences you've had so far, get out there and try it. And if you want to start with us, I'd be humbled and honored. If you want to start elsewhere, good for you. I'm proud of you. My man, dude. Like, what a pitch. And the, all the links that you had will be in the companion blog piece that's on johnofalltrades.us, J-O-N of alltrades.us, and also in the show notes. So if you are listening on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods, you can find links to everything Adam just said. Adam Salzman, man, what a great show. What a great conversation. I think you're doing incredible, important work. Uh, really proud to feature you, and I wish you continued success. This was unbelievably fun, John. Thanks for having me, man. And that'll do it for episode 302 of the John of All Trades podcast. Big shout out to Adam Salzman. Great company, great conversation. Cannot wait to see where you take this thing. It's only been, what, 12 months? You got a great road ahead of you, my man. Be sure to check out all the links in the companion blog piece. That's johnofalltrades.us. Also, I have more than 350 episodes. You'll find something you enjoy. The John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Check out Deft on the web, D-E-F-T-C-L-M dot U-S. 
training, content, engagement, communication, PR, and also podcasting. Getting ready to start a new show here momentarily. So if you have an idea for a podcast, hit me up. I can help you bring it to fruition. That's D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. Our sponsor is 4Degrees. Number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Anything you're doing online, 4Degrees can help you do it better. Whether you're building a website, doing an online campaign, social media marketing, online advertising, basically if you have a message that needs to get in front of an audience, 4Degrees can help you get the message right and then figure out where those audiences are so you can deploy it most effectively. Amazing company. Proud they're my sponsor. Number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. John of All Trades Podcast is on social media. J-O-A-T Pod is the handle. That's Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram. Facebook is the only place for exclusive episode previews. Those go up two days before the show. New episodes drop typically on Wednesday. It's available on all major podcatchers, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and now Amazon and Audible. So, if you're listening on that, thank you and welcome. I'm out of here for this week. Got a new show coming for you next week. And until I hear you again, say goodnight, Gracie. That's good, Johnny.